0: This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Your radio doctor does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, physicians, products, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on your radio doctor. Always consult your own physician. Today's program has been pre-recorded.
1: When Recovery Centers of America at Devon opened its campuses on the main line and in South Jersey, they offered a new approach, local addiction treatment led by an expert caring team of professionals. RCA has since helped thousands and leads the way in innovative programs and Exceptional inpatient and outpatient care, all in a beautiful setting that allows for healing and recovery. RCA answers the phone and admits patients 24 7, 365, including the holidays. All admitted patients and staff are routinely tested for COVID 19. Call now at 1 888 Recovery. That's 1 888 Recovery.
0: Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, WPHTHD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia, Radio.com Station. Your health determines your life, your longevity, and your happiness. Let your radio doctor lead the way with your medical education. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie.
1: Good morning, and welcome to Your Radio Doctor. I'm your host, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Today marks the last show of our first year on the air. Our audience continues to grow. I thank you for listening, and I'm very grateful for your support. I'm actually jubilant to have had the chance to begin a second year, and I'm humbled at the same time. As we continue our focus on various types of primary care, I've invited a wonderful guest to join us today, Dr. Peter Biddy from the Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine. Dr. Biddy is an associate professor and the vice chair of the Department of Family Medicine at PCOM. We'll also hear about the Well City Challenge, an initiative powered by the Economy League of Greater Philadelphia and presented by Independence Blue Cross. Our guest is the Managing Director of the Economy League, Mr. Nick Frontino. So let's begin. A warm welcome to Dr. Peter Biddy from the Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine. Hello, Peter, and thank you for joining us.
0: Hi, how are you doing? Thank you so much for having me.
1: Well, Peter, tell us please, what is the philosophy of osteopathic medicine?
0: Well, that's a great question. And I think first and foremost, maybe I should give a little bit of background of where it started from. So it actually started with uh, uh, Dr. Andrew um, Taylor Still. Uh, And uh, what ended up happening with Dr. Still was he was um, practicing in the late 19th century and he was kind of unhappy with uh, where or the effectiveness of how medicine was. I mean, if you think about it, they didn't have antibiotics, they didn't have a lot of those things. Uh, and what he did, he's, he, he was kind of really innovative as one of the first to really in his time to start studying kind of the attributes of good health uh, to better understand disease. And, and what he was focusing on, he was kind of focusing on the unity of all body parts uh, and trying to identify that the musculoskeletal system a, as a key component to health. Uh, and from that kind of began and blossomed uh, the philosophy of osteopathic medicine. Uh, And I think around like 1892, he actually uh, got a state charter and he started the first uh, osteopathic medical school. And from there, uh, schools began to grow. Uh, I'm actually a graduate of the Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine. I'm lucky enough to work there now. And that was actually started in 1899. And again, it it was kind of the whole idea of kind of returning to the body to health through manipulation based upon uh, the thorough understanding of the body systems as a whole
1: sure. And really, Dr. Andrew Still, who was an MD, and you say he was frustrated. I think he, the history says that he lost three of his own children to meningitis and just said, I have to do something about this and spent years of research, but he's considered the grandfather of wellness. Isn't he one of the, probably the first person to coin the term wellness. Yes. Yeah.
0: When you think about it, it's kind of a whole new unique approach. Uh, And kind of as DOs, uh, when you think about it, we're trained to promote the body's natural tendency towards self healing and health and treating the whole person. That doesn't mean we don't use antibiotics. It doesn't mean we're not gonna order a chest X-ray or you need to get your colonoscopy or things along those lines, but it just kind of a unique approach of how we're gonna uh, approach you as a patient, uh, as a person and us as ph- uh, physicians.
1: Yeah, it, it's really so clever and smart. And I know there are basic tenets or doctrines that make osteopathic practice distinct for, as a form of healthcare in the United States. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, there's
0: kind of four uh, basic tenets that we would look at. And, and when you look at our osteopathic curriculum in medical school, it kind of focuses around these areas. And, and when you're looking at it, uh, number one, uh, we look at that the body is a unit. So that means the person uh, is a unit of the body, the mind, and the spirit. Uh, the second one is that the body is capable of self-regulation, self-healing and health maintenance. Uh, the third one is that structure and function are reciprocally uh, interrelated. So you really need the two working together or the system isn't going to work. And then last but not least, uh, when you kind of look at the, ra- uh, the rational diagnosis and treatments of things, it's based upon the understanding of the basic principles of the body unity, self regulation, and the interrelationship of structure and function. When when I kind of think of this, if I were to put it into I guess would be my, you know, layman's terms, if you're if you're looking at the body as a unit, if it's a machine and if a part's missing or a part is out of whack or it's not doing what it really should be doing, that system as a whole is gonna fail or not really work to the optimum ability that it should.
1: Exactly. I mean so often we'll see someone in the office, now I'm a GI doctor, so this would not be my um focus, but if somebody has say a bad hip on their left side, they might present with pain in their right knee because they're walking to favor the sore left hip and they uh, end up putting so much weight on their right side that their knee hurts and that's where you say, or right, let's look at the whole person. it's not just their knee, what made them you know walk this way and I am fascinated by OMM or osteopathic manipulative medicine. Tell us about that if you would. Sure, so when you look at
0: osteopathic manipulative medicine, it's it's really a comprehensive approach to healthcare in which osteopathic physicians apply our osteopathic philosophy, structural diagnosis, and the use of osteopathic manipulative treatment or OMT, which is really the hands-on portion of that, in the diagnosis uh, and the management of patients. Um, that doesn't mean that everything will be a hands-on treatment to that. For example, um, if you look at depression, there are certain techniques that we can help with certain things, but at the same time, there are uses for SSRIs, SNRIs, or all of those types of things. But it's kind of philosophy use in looking at that treatment. Um, to kind of sum it up, if you think about it, An osteopathic physician is going to address your primary causes of the disease using evidence-based practices, you know, what tests we have on as needed, but not just look at the symptoms that you're coming in with. We're going to try to enhance the patient's healing uh, capability. We want to individualize the management plans with an emphasis on health restoration and disease prevention as well as we have that added bonus of our papillatory diagnosis our manipulative medicine treatments as well as kind of altering structural mechanical and physiologic states
1: it makes perfect sense. And I know that 25% of the United States medical students today are osteopathic physicians. How do you train for osteopathic medicine, which you say is the philosophy, and then the osteopathic manipulative therapy, which is the treatment? And we can go into the next segment with this. We have about a minute now to get started. Tell us about the training. Sure. When
0: you really look at the training, uh, there are some similarities to our allopathic colleagues. We do a four-year undergraduate degree. We do four years of training training in medical school. Uh, it's just an osteopathic medical school. We're going to do a one-year internship, or and then two to three years of residency, four or five if you go into neuroscience or things along those lines and we're fully licensed to uh, practice uh, the whole spectrum of medicine in all 50 states. Uh, The little added bonus when you look at that with our osteopathic philosophy, with our osteopathic training, is we do an additional 500 hours in our classrooms as well as on our M3 and M4 rotations revolving around that osteopathic medicine component, which includes the osteopathic manipulative treatment.
1: So really, you are uh, physicians with a plus. So let's take a little break, and we'll be right back with Dr. Peter Biddy from the Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. If you have a question for the medical mailbag, just send a note to doctor at your And we're back with Dr. Peter Biddy from PCON philadelphia college of osteopathic medicine peter i'd love to hear some examples of conditions that osteopathic physicians would treat with osteopathic manipulative medicine or therapy
0: sure so when you think about this um, osteopathic physicians are uh, can be primary care doctors we can be internal medicine doctors i'm a family medicine doctor as you know we're surgeons we're radiologists we're anesthesiologists so Just to sum it up, if you choose a condition, we will treat it (laughs) as a whole, but there are certain ones that lend really well to that component of the osteopathic manipulative treatment. Uh, And I've got a few examples. um, With everything going on uh, in the current pandemic, and I just like to say I hope everybody is safe and well, but uh, there's been a lot of comparison to 1918 when there was the Spanish flu pandemic, especially that was hit really hard in Philadelphia. And there's actually some studies that show that do physicians at that time were doing specific omt so osteopathic manipulative therapy treatments especially when it involves your lymphatic system and those patients of the do's actually had a better uh, chance of surviving and getting less sick when you look at it so you can actually look at the flu uh so a virus itself or even a sinus infection. And I'll give you an example. So as a primary care doctor, if you came into my office and I think that you have either a a really bad ear infection that requires an antibiotic, or maybe you have a really bad sinus infection. You've had it for two and a half weeks and you've tried all the conservative stuff and now you've got a fever and I need to give you an antibiotic. Of course, unless you're allergic to something, I'm gonna give you Augmentin or something along those lines to help with that. But I also have this osteopathic treatment that I can also do uh, at the same time with my hands, the manipulative therapy. And we actually have certain, so we can kind of do an effleurage of your face, which kind of gets uh, some of that fluid moving. We can kind of uh, do some manipulative therapy to your station tubes, which kind of help drain if you've got that stuffy ear, that post-nasal drip area of things also when people have sinus infections you'll notice that they kind of start getting that facial pain because some of those nerves are irritated and we have a few techniques that can kind of almost trick those nerves into not feeling that way to kind of give you a little bit of relief Uh, Not to mention, we can also kind of open up those channels that help with your lymphatic system, which is kind of your body's natural way is starting to fight these infections and get things moving a little bit better, which ultimately I think can really help patients. Um, I like to think about it when we do some of these treatments is I'm not a surgeon. So at no point can I walk in and take out someone's appendix and save their lives uh, as things go. Now I have surgical colleagues that are DOs that get to have that luxury, but this is my chance that I can almost give you instant relief sometimes of certain conditions with my hands on top of those other types of things and those other types of either diagnoses or treatments that I have for you. Another example, but, and yeah. I guess, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. No, no, please. I, yeah. I, was,
1: I was going to, I, I wonder if that would apply to little children that get recurrent ear infections. Is there, when yes. you talk about the eustachian yes. tube, I think of, tell us about it's that. The, it's yeah. the same. Mm-hmm. We
0: actually can show our parents how to do it sometimes for the patients and and what you kind of do is you kind of put your hands around your ears after you open up a few channels and you can actually gently move them that that area back and forth and what you'll do is kind of lengthen them because what you know is children you know uh, notoriously have shorter eustachian tubes they haven't grown yet and they're so much more prone to ear infections than, than parents are um when you think about it
1: Yes. Well, and as you say, the eustachian tube for listeners is the, the canal yeah. in the ear. And it, and it changes with age, but when children are little, yep. that's what sets them up for ear infections, yep. right? Yep. A hundred
0: percent. You're dead on the money. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll, I'll give you another example, uh, if, if you don't mind. And it kind of relates back to that tenet of structure and function that we were talking about in, in that osteopathic philosophy. So let's say that you have a pneumonia and unfortunately you come in the office and you're coughing up a storm and you have a high fever, Uh, of course I'm going to order a chest x-ray to make sure that, you know, to take a look at what's happening. I'm probably going to require to give you some form of antibiotic treatment to make sure that this pneumonia does not progress and doesn't make you sicker than you whole. But let's say you've been coughing so much that actually, uh, when I do my osteopathic structural exam, I kind of notice that you're maybe not breathing as well, not only because of the pneumonia, but some of your ribs are not really functioning as well as I would like. Because when you think about it, all those muscles are attached to your ribs that then attach to your thoracic spine and when you look at the lungs, the lungs aren't a ton of muscle. They're kind of sacks of air. And you need that, that, that pressure behind them that your chest creates to blow air in and to blow air out. And if some of your ribs are not functioning, so if they're stuck out too far or stuck in too far, possibly due to the disease condition that you have, I not only treat the pneumonia, but I have osteopathic manipulative techniques that I can use to kind of adjust those ribs to to um, help alleviate those problems so that you breathe a little bit better.
1: It makes perfect sense. And, and I know that you have, um, Ideas too about helping with constipation, which can be from so many different causes. Tell us a little bit about that, if you want. Not will.
0: a problem. So when you think about it, and and I was just trying to pick my brain for what are some of the techniques that we would do that people might be not so aware of, uh, with us as D.O.s. And when we talk about this, we might talk about doing something to your back or or helping fix a rib dysfunction or things along those lines. But it just doesn't have to be some component of bone. So for example, if you've constipation. Doesn't mean we don't have to work you up to make sure you don't need a colonoscopy or things along those lines, but let's say it's just functional. Um, What we actually have is certain techniques that kind of deal with the visceral system, so the autonomic nervous system, some of those organs and things along those lines, and we can actually do certain techniques that kind of uh, direct towards your actual colon themselves, and we can kind of get stimulation that gets things going uh, as a whole that can sometimes really help people with those types of issues
1: and that's where you say the function um, manifests as the the target Mm -hmm. because let's say somebody has a normal gi tract Mm -hmm. but maybe they're sitting all day or maybe they're and your body changes with your activities and if you really look at the whole person and their habits and have they changed or the pandemic have they are they eating differently are they Is their sleep schedule changed, which a lot of us have had these changes, I guess. So I'd love to hear too, um, Peter, about um, your algorithm of TART changes, T-A-R-T. Could you tell us a little bit about that?
0: Sure, so um, obviously when we're approaching a patient, we're gonna try to look at everything that we possibly can. Um, So when we were looking at this, when it comes to performing osteopathic manipulative therapy, or OMT, you need uh, an osteopathic diagnosis. And and what we kind of look at that is something that we call somatic dysfunction. Uh, Obviously something is not working the way that it should. Uh, And when we think about that, we've got four criteria that we kind of look at to help diagnose this. Uh, One is called tenderness. So if I palpate a certain area, is it painful when I'm palpating? One would be asymmetry, so let's say that as I'm palpating your vertebra or as I'm feeling down your back, I notice that maybe one of them is either side-bent or rotated a little bit to the right or to the left or things along those areas, which just doesn't mean that it's affecting that, that particular part of bone. That might mean that an organ or something downstream is not working the way it should and it's relaying that message and that's where it's being kind of disrupted when I'm doing my osteopathic structural exam. We also have the idea Mm -hmm. of restricted range of motion. So you can't move your neck so far to the right, or to the left, or you can't bend it down from your ear, things along those lines. That would be all examples of restricted range of motion. And then finally, there's this idea of tissue texture changes. So DOs are pretty good at palpating these areas. And noticing is maybe something is acute, so it just happened. Is something chronic by the way that the muscles feel? So are they boggy? So are they kind of soft? And they're not really doing... Or are they really fibrous? Something's been going on for a very long time, and it's very tight. And it's very hard to kind of manipulate that treatment as a whole.
1: So if you approach every patient with those thoughts when you... uh, here, there's history and do their exam. It's such an orderly way of making sure, once again, you've addressed the issues of the whole person. And as you say, Peter, you're a family doctor. So these concepts of wellness and treating the whole person are so important in primary care because you see people of all ages. And maybe that's reflected in the long tradition of osteopathic physicians entering family medicine, general internal medicine and pediatrics. But as you say, now you're across the board in every field thank goodness surgery anesthesia emergency room geriatric sports medicine it's just so fascinating to hear the whole concept of OMM.
0: of course and and, and this isn't a new undertaking this has been happening for many many years uh, making osteopathic surgeons uh, anesthesiologists radiologists uh, anything along those lines uh, it just kind of as a medical student it's where you find your niche uh, as a whole and when you think about it our training now with the single accreditation system through the ACGME is in the same programs as the allopathic positions when you when you look at it that way
1: mm-hmm. and for our listeners the ACGME that's the the granddaddy of everything wouldn't you say Peter yeah, for, the for, American for, College of Graduate Medical Education it, dun, 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 dun. for the residencies <laughs> they
0: are the they, they are the they are they are it <laughs>
1: They are the colander that's what we have to that's what we're filtered through saying you're in or you're out but it is um, it's fascinating to hear how this is applied because it's so logical and and as you say it's hands-on and when people walk away with immediate relief if somebody has pneumonia gosh, it's not just the bacteria or even the virus that's collected uh, the congestion in their lungs. It's how they stand. It's massaging the muscles they've been using to cough. That in itself would, would give people such relief. And Just like somebody has surgery, they're in pain, but if you can help with that and get them out of bed, they'll have fewer post exactly. complications. Exactly. So remember, not so
0: much a massage, but more of a manipulation of the tissue as a whole mm-hmm. or a technique as we've been doing it. Because when you think about it, we have a great data actually from you know studies of, of uh, omt and omm that you know post surgically we using manipulative therapy can improve aliases and for you know um people on the call that means that your bowels aren't kind of moving the way that you want them to because they're kind of shocked mm-hmm, mm-hmm. from the surgery uh but at the same yes. time as, as do's um as a family doctor if you come in and you have hypertension I may not have a treatment that is an osteopathic medical therapy for you at that time. I'm gonna have to put you on a blood pressure pill and tell you to eat better and maybe lose some weight depending on the situation. But it's just an added bonus that we have in our arsenal to try to help you.
1: It really is. We'll be right back with Dr. Peter Biddy.
0: Today's edition of Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross, can be enjoyed on Radio.com. Listen to the show at your convenience. Go to Radio.com and in the search bar type in Your Radio Doctor. It's health education on demand.
1: And now we welcome Mr. Nick Frontino, the managing director of the Economy League of Greater Philadelphia an organization that addresses critical issues facing the region by conducting impactful research, connecting diverse leaders, and advancing shared solutions, all aimed to help the region thrive. Mr. Nick Frontino is here to tell us about the Well City Challenge, an initiative aimed at improving the health of millennials here in the Philadelphia area. Welcome, Nick. Thank you
2: so much for joining us. Hello. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity.
1: Nick, why the focus on millennial health?
2: Sure. So um, the millennial generation is actually the largest generation in the workforce today, both nationally and here in the Philadelphia area. As a matter of fact, one out of three Philadelphians is a millennial Uh, and millennials are uh, individuals born between 1981 and 1996, so roughly 25 to 39 right now um and uh there's been research conducted at the national level by the blue cross blue shield association that has shown that millennials are on track to be in poorer health than generations prior to them Um, eight out of the top 10 health conditions that they're facing have actually seen double digit increases over the past of the the past few years i mean these are conditions including uh high cholesterol hypertension type 2 diabetes Um, But six out of the top 10 behavioral uh, health conditions that they're facing are actually behavioral health or mental health in nature. So depression, anxiety, substance use disorder. Um, And because this is such a large generation, um, how we handle the physical and mental health of millennials in the Philadelphia area could really make or break the vitality of our communities and our economy.
1: Absolutely. These are stunning statistics. And uh, it'll be interesting, I'm sure, that if we pinpoint the statistics to find out why uh, this is happening. And I know the Economy League, I, I looked at your website. Your board is incredible. Tell us a little bit about the diversity of the leaders and the Opinions you're you're gathering.
2: Sure. So you know the Economy League is an independent nonprofit based here in Philadelphia. Uh, We've actually been around for 111 years, um, and we are supported by a very diverse board of about 60 corporations, institutions, and organizations uh, who are really working together to improve the region. And as you mentioned at the top of the segment, you know, we, uh, we address critical issues facing the Philadelphia area by providing impactful research, by connecting diverse leaders, and by advancing shared solutions to really drive regional change and progress. And the Well City Challenge, which I'm here to talk about today, is an example of a kind of a shared solution that we are working to advance.
1: It's such a clever idea. I mean, these are people with boots on the ground that really understand Philadelphia and beyond. So let's hear about the Well City Challenge. That's a brilliant idea.
2: Sure. So the Well City Challenge uh, is a program that uh, we are working together with Independence Blue Cross, who is our presenting sponsor, on. It is a social impact program that's focused on engaging and supporting everyday innovators in the Philadelphia area who have new creative ideas for addressing millennial health challenges through really community-led ventures uh, because we know when it comes to solving some of the challenges that we're facing around population health for the millennials that there's going to be a need for medical solutions and medical interventions. There's going to be a need for government policy and policy interventions, but we also believe that there's a really important and critical role uh, that community has to play in supporting and improving millennial health because health is so close to home. It's important that some of the solutions that we advance to help support millennial health come from close to home.
1: And the the health of the community certainly is uh, impactful on the health of each individual. So you had more than 100 applications uh, present their ideas from all across 51 zip codes uh, in southeastern Pennsylvania. And tell us about the three themes.
2: Sure, yeah. So we put out a call for ideas last fall asking um, anybody really in the Philadelphia area to submit their ideas for improving millennial health within three themes, three categories. The first being community and social connection, because we know that there's a direct link between how socially engaged you are and your mental and even physical health. Another category was food and nutrition. Obviously, the link between what you eat and how you eat is uh, and your health is very clear. And then the third category was mind-body, so mindfulness and physical fitness, and obviously the connection to health outcomes uh, is pretty clear there. So we received over 100 applications from really an incredible diverse collection of, uh, of communities and perspectives, and that we did the hard work of pouring through all 100 plus applications and then selecting 15 that we've invited to participate in the Well City Challenge uh, program which actually will start uh, next month. Mm
1: -hmm. And I like the idea of uh, how you're gonna take the final 15 ideas or uh, the people defending their ideas. And tell us about the competition. I know it's March 2nd, 3rd and 4th, and you'll hear from five finalists
2: each day. Yeah, so this will culminate in kind of like Shark Tank like events uh, in early March. And they'll be virtual, they'll be online. Um, And each team will pitch their idea to a panel of judges for a chance at a $10,000 grand prize. And we'll also have a People's Choice Award within each category, uh, which will go to the team that uh, the public votes to be their favorite. Um, before those pitch competitions, we will be pairing the teams uh, with advisors and we'll be running them through uh, what we're calling a social venture incubator. So we're basically taking them through a curriculum to help them deconstruct and reconstruct their concept and really refine their pitch so they can prepare for those Shark, ta- uh, the shark Tank nights on March 2nd, 3rd and 4th.
1: So, when you say you're going to pair each team with a mentor, that means a mentor from your board, right?
2: Well, it's a mentor from our broader network. We do have some board companies and board members represented, but, you know, part of the value that the Economy League League brings to this equation is that we've worked with nonprofit organizations, foundations, companies, uh, really uh, stakeholders across the entire spectrum. And so, we're able to draw upon a really broad set of expertise and connections to help support the teams that are participating in this program.
1: Sure. And then after you have the the three days of competition, it will go on from there, and and what will happen with that?
2: Right. So uh, we will have some prize winners, grand prize winners, people's choice winners that will be uh, selected during these pitch competitions. Those teams we will then invite into what we're calling an impact accelerator, and we'll work with them over the course of three or four months through the summer really to really kind of dig in and flesh out their idea and stress test it will help them design and implement pilots so they can learn something about the viability of their idea and then this summer uh we will have a big community showcase where we report out to the community on the journey that we've taken with these teams and uh we'll be making uh, some seed investment in at least one of the teams to help them scale and grow their idea the idea here is really to try and seed some community-led innovation in the Philadelphia area around mental health solutions.
1: Mhm. And um, I know I think it's so clever that you're using the the Shark Tank uh, style because that's exciting and it, it makes it fun. I mean, this is going to be hard work for the teams, and it's exciting and it's kind of neat too, knowing that the public can watch and vote, because that might bring stimulate more ideas. Do you think?
2: Absolutely, I think it'll stimulate more ideas, and hopefully, it'll, it'll even make some connections too. Right for teams uh, with either folks who can help them, um, you know, refine their idea even further, or who may be able to connect them with individuals who can continue to support them along their jersey, their journey. Excuse me. So, mm-hmm. yeah, sure. uh, the public can uh, can tune in. Um, you could sign up uh, at economyleague.org dot slash well city. You can register for one or two or all three of our events. They'll be in the evening. Uh, On March 2nd, 3rd, and 4th. And they'll be fun, it'll be fun nights uh, because the teams will, um, you know, everybody will get to see the work that the teams have put into refining their ideas. And, you know, we'll learn together more about some of the challenges um, that millennials are facing as it pertains to health.
1: And what's so interesting about this is the feedback. I know if people are watching and they'll get their own ideas, there's nothing like competition, a think tank that stimulates people to bounce ideas off of each other and, and really grow the idea. So if people can vote, can they also send in suggestions or comments?
2: Yeah, well, you know, part of what we're trying to figure out is how uh, we can best make this an interactive session in a totally virtual environment. You know, we ran a program like this a few years ago and it was in person. So the people who attended had the opportunity to kind of pull aside a team member after they presented and talked to them you know, we just like everybody else (laughs) over the course of the past year or so is trying to figure out how we replicate uh, that kind of interaction in a virtual environment. And I think, you know, folks will be pleased with uh, what we'll come up with to that front.
1: Oh, I'm sure. I mean, it's uh, like everyone, as you say, adapt to survive. And I think people like you, you know, you have just such an imagination and being able to pull this together and make it Still exist and happen. Um, lessons learned in a pandemic, but also in one sense, when it is virtual, we can hit a broader range and uh, a wider scope of participants. So, it it may have uh, pluses that you incorporate when you do go live again.
2: Yeah, I think that's right. And you know what better time um, to have a, a a competition focused on solutions to health than now. So, um, you know, we're excited to be able to bring these ideas to the public.
1: Absolutely. As you say, what a time for the stress on everyone's mental health, uh, people of all ages. Nick, thank you so much for sharing this. It's a wonderful idea. And for our listeners, March 2nd, 3rd and 4th. And do you want to repeat the website where people can sign in and, and uh, observe and participate?
2: Sure. It's economyleague.org slash wealth city.
1: Beautiful. Mr. Nick Frontino, the Managing Director of the Economy League of Greater Philadelphia. Thank you so much, Nick. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented in part by Recovery Centers of America. When needed, call RCA 1 888 Recovery. And finally, Peter. You are in an academic setting as a professor, but you also have a practice with patients. Tell us, how has the pandemic led to you adapting your teaching style and your practice with patients?
0: Sure, it's a, it's a brave new world. Uh, when you think about it, the whole idea <laughs> of telemedicine has really kind of come into play. And us at PCOM, we, we followed in that stead to make sure that especially when the pandemic first hit, and there were shortages of PPE and things along those lines, we started doing more telemedicine. Uh, At the same time, we've been able to bring people back into the office. We have to reduce the size of our waiting rooms and our procedures to make sure that everybody is safe, but we're still able to treat our patients. And from a student standpoint, it's a whole new world. So we've been doing a lot more remote teaching. But at the same time, we still bring our students back on campus uh, for labs, and especially osteopathic manipulation labs, uh, OMM labs as we call them, or even our primary care skills labs, we've been doing them. Um, As a whole, they're still getting great education, but at the same time, we just had to update what we needed to do so that we could deliver that information in a safe environment for both our patients uh, and our students.
1: Oh, sure. Well, life is a balance yes. and, and you want the students to get the concepts and maybe some of the time they can watch videos. And then if you bring in fewer, just like a lot of schools are doing hybrids, well, then you bring in maybe half well, the number and they get to put, do the yeah, hands-on. And yes. And the,
0: and the beauty is, it, we're not, it's not that we're recording. We're, we're live teaching the lecture. It's just you're watching it from your computer sometimes, um, but still you know, making room so that we can socially distance for on-campus activities as necessary.
1: Right. And for PCOM, Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine, how would somebody make an appointment to see you at PCOM. Sure, if
0: you want to, we have various healthcare centers throughout the city. Um, You could go onto our website and uh, look up our healthcare centers. It's got its own little section at PCOM.edu. And you can connect with our physicians. We have uh, an office in West Philadelphia. We have one on City Line Avenue, and we have one in North Philadelphia, uh, our Cambria office, uh, as well as one in Roxborough, uh, not to mention our own specialty clinics uh, when it comes to surgery, orthopedics, geriatrics. Um, We have the whole... as needed. So look us up online.
1: Well, thank you for being our guest today. Uh, What a bonus to know that you have osteopathic manipulative medicine as an an additional benefit to osteopathic physician care. And I have to give a shout out to PCOM, where my baby girl graduated in 2019, and she's now following your footsteps. Victoria, Dr. Victoria Gordon-McCarthy will be a family medicine doctor like Dr. Peter Biddy. Thank you so
0: much. Thank you so much for having me. Now, your real champion. Presented by the Rothman Orthopedic Institute. I know you've got the heart of the champion.
1: And now for your real champion, Don De Giacomo. I call this segment Shine Your Light. If you've ever watched The Simpsons, you'd know they live in Springfield. That's because every state in the U.S. has a city or town called Springfield. In that way, the Simpsons represent each and every family in America, complete with their flaws. You might think that all Springfields are created equal, but the one in Pennsylvania is no ordinary town. Last week, our hearts were worn by a little girl who donated 10 inches of her hair and everyone around her was moved by her generosity and maturity. I had a chance to speak to the stylist who cut Maura's hair. Her name is Dawn. And after 30 seconds, it dawned on me that I was speaking to another champion. Though Dawn Giacomo had never met the child before the day of the haircut, she had helped many other clients with the process of donating their hair. Not only does she make it a celebration for donors, she also helps men and women who suffer from actual hair loss, either from alopecia or chemotherapy or some other sickness. Dawn reflects losing your hair becomes a dignity issue. And if someone has lost their hair, I'm going to help them with a shorter haircut or help them fit a wig. And I'm going to pay for it. I won't take their money. When I see a suffering person, I don't know how they pull themselves out of bed each morning. She told me of a woman whose beautiful little six-year-old girl was diagnosed with a brain tumor this summer and has lost all her hair. The mom herself had hair down to the middle of her back and came to Dawn to cut it into a short bob. The mom wanted to bond with her little girl and show that for both of them, hair isn't so important, it will grow back. Dawn not only treated the mom to the haircut, but also offered to treat her to a manicure, a pedicure, to make her feel special. And when clients are facing chemotherapy, they ask Dawn how to prepare. She always advises them to let her shave it in advance. No use waking up every day and seeing your hair on the pillow. Her compassion helps frighten patients in making that decision. For many years, Dawn co-owned a salon called Split Ends with her husband, Arthur. They shared the same spirit of caring and made the salon a center in the neighborhood. She told me of a man and wife who were clients for 30 years, clients who became friends. The couple learned their son, a prize-winning wrestler for the Haverford School and her sinus college, was diagnosed with sarcoma, a bone tumor. Dawn and her husband organized a fundraiser at a local restaurant, live music, an auction. The entire staff of split ends and even some clients pitched in to help. Their goal? Pay for the boy and his parents to do a family trip or something to make a beautiful memory. Jordan Baumeister lost his battle to cancer before his dream trip, but he and his parents felt the love and support of all those who came together because of Dawn. On March 1 of 2020, Dawn fulfilled a dream. She opened the door of her own salon in Springfield. Little did she know that 14 days later, the door would close with the lockdown. But in those first days, she was the new kid on the block with another salon called Nirvana and Joe's Barbershop, both on Soxer Avenue. Her voice goes up an entire octave when she raves about the way her fellow business owners embraced her. They didn't see her as a competitor. They helped her and thanked her for coming to Springfield. In turn, she'll go into the barbershop and offer to cut the barber's hair. She sends all of her clients to the specialty store on Saxor Ave that makes great Italian food. Luckily, she was able to open her doors again by summer's end. And like all small business owners, Dawn needs the business. But as you can hear, Springfield needs Dawn. On a daily basis, Dawn continues to shine her light. Did I mention her salon is called Shine? We salute you, Dawn Giacomo, your real champion. Tune in next week for our first anniversary show. We'll be celebrating the beginning of our second year on the air. A very special thank you to our sponsors, Independence Blue Cross, the Rothman Orthopedic Institute, and Recovery Centers of America. And on Sunday, February 7, as you prepare to watch the big game, our guest will be Dr. Christopher Dodson, who serves as head orthopedic surgeon for the Philadelphia Eagles and head team physician for the Philadelphia 76ers. Who better to comment on sports medicine? In upcoming weeks, our topics will also include updates on COVID, vaccines, and the importance of oral health from a professor from the University of Penn Dental School. Send us a story about a champion in your family, workplace, or community to info at yourradiodoctor.net. Our shows can be heard on yourradiodoctor.net. And check out my Philly Voice article on hip fractures this month. A special hello to my niece, Jenny, sending our love and prayers for her this week from our whole family as she faces surgery. And our love and prayers go to all our listeners who are sick, suffering from COVID, or have loved ones affected by it. Now I think we could all use a little dooby dooby do with the sounds of Sinatra and always remember that your health is your
0: wealth. Thanks for listening to your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, a Jacob Media production.